today on the show, we're doing a career Q&A and I've got some really good questions that have been submitted through the Facebook community. Here's a sneak preview. We're talking about rejection and how you bounce back, how you get more feedback from your boss, how do you deal with conflict at work and making a big career change from trade into something new. This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson. It's time to get to work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, this question is from one of our longtime listeners, Michael. Thank you for sending this through. It's such a good question. You work in a team that's largely cohesive and collaborative and heading in the same direction. However, you get a new boss, they aren't rude or mean, but their work style is different to your own and your previous managers. What are some tips to navigate this? And even more so when you don't agree with their priorities, especially if certain things have been tried before without success, but they want you to go down that path again. Okay, this is a really good question. What a banger to open with. So there's a couple of components here. I think when you have a new boss, it's kind of like a honeymoon period. And some honeymoon periods might be good and some honeymoon periods might not be good because you're settling into this new dynamic and you're trying to get to know this new person who has a huge impact on every part of your working life. So think a couple of things that I want Michael to consider. Number one, if you listened previously, and I know you did because I've believed that you messaged me about this, to that episode that Dom Price did on having a personal user manual. I wonder if you can use this strategy with your new boss and do an activity and maybe suggest they run this activity as a team. So it's called that personal user manual where you come up with, here's how I work and you do it as a team and it can be a really fun activity. Search up Atlassian and look up personal user manuals and they'll tell you how to run this play with your team. But I'd recommend starting there. And the reason I recommend that is because One of the first things you need to do with a new boss is get to know what they care about. So what matters to them and get to know their style and you can actually set them up for more success by saying, hey, one of the things I think would work really well is for us to get to know each other and each other's ways of working and preferences and working styles. So you could kind of put that out there to them and say, okay, cool, could we do this as a group? Because I think it's going to build a better working relationship for everyone and sell what's in it for them. So I really want you to emphasize, here's what I reckon we could get out of this. Our team performance will be better. Our relationships are going to be better. And we're just going to understand each other better. And most managers want that. 
So first step, suggest doing that activity, the personal user manuals. We'll put a link into the show notes so you can find out how to do that if you haven't done that before. It's super fun and it's a really cool way of understanding each other. So we think about this period of time. You've got this window where you're kind of figuring out how does this new manager like to work and is this relationship going to be all right? The next part of Michael's question is what do you do when you don't agree on their priorities, especially if certain things have been tried before without success and they want you to go down that path again? This is a really common thing because a new manager comes in and they don't have the history. So they don't have all that backlog of information of going, oh yeah, we tried that particular project totally tanked for these reasons. But the other side, and I think this is probably the challenge, when we're working with a new boss, we don't want to come across as like the naysayer or like the blocker of ideas. We don't want to be the person, well, we tried that before and it didn't work and and feel like we're a negative voice in the space because the risk is that that affects how this new boss is going to perceive us. So I totally get that this is one of those kind of nuanced conversations And here's what I would do if it was me. Before you talk about, hey, I don't agree with that priority or that project for this reason, take a step back. I would sit down with my new manager, let's say his name's Jack, and I would say, hey, Jack, how do we give feedback on this team? So before I give the feedback about the priorities, I would actually start by focusing on, hey, how do you like to receive feedback from your team? How do you like to have conversations when there's areas that maybe we disagree, which is normal and healthy, How do you like them to be sent through to you? Is it in a conversation in a one-on-one? Is it something that you like to get a heads up via email? And then we kind of chat about it. So instead of just going straight into the actual core concern, you take a step back and you hit the issue before that, which is how do they like to receive feedback or how do they like to have honest and open conversations? Because managers like this done differently. Some managers will like you to tell them in the moment when it happens. And then others will like a kind of heads up on it and get some insight. Maybe they want you to send something through of going, hey, I'd love to chat about this in an email. And then you sit down and talk about it. So I guess what I'm saying, Michael, is before you jump into talking to them about the fact that those priorities might not be right, you have that conversation about how do we have difficult conversations? So again, we're going back to this, how do we work together? And it's a way of framing up the conversation that gets you a better outcome. So this is kind of my phrasing. I'd sit down in a one-on-one and I'd say to my new boss, Jack, hey, Jack, one of the things that I think is really important as a team is for us to agree on what's the best way to communicate when we've got concerns or we want to give feedback. I'd love to know what works for you when it comes to getting feedback from your team? Is there a particular thing that you like that makes it better and easier for you? And then pause and sit in silence and wait. And it can feel awkward sometimes to do this, but I can guarantee managers will love your curiosity around this. Like they'll just be like, it'll be so refreshing because it's not the type of -of run-of-the-mill conversation. And it shows you're interested in getting the best out of them. So try that. Start there. And then you'll get the insight to them. And and Jack might come back and say, well, hey, I just want you to uh, book in the time and give me a heads up about what it's about in advance, send it via email. What that tells you is, okay, cool. Now I can go away and plan for the conversation about where we talk about the priorities being out of whack. And I do it in a way that's going to set it up to be received well. So I think that's showing a lot of maturity and it's showing that you care about how that conversation happens, not just the fact that it does happen, 
Because I think where most of our conversations with our managers go wrong is that we either don't do them, we don't do those tough conversations, or we do them without that preparation and thought about what's going to work best for the person receiving this. So try that, Michael, and let me know how you go. Message me. Always love hearing from you. There's a follow-on question from Sean, and this one ties nicely into what Michael's question was. I feel my boss and I don't really get along or we don't really understand each other. How can I build a better relationship with them? Okay, we've talked about this on previous episodes, but I'm still going to rattle this off because I think it's relevant. Number one, you've got to figure out what they care about. So what matters to them? And it's going to look different for each person. Some managers like to be in the detail. They want to know where you're up to. They want regular status updates about what you're working on and how things are progressing. And other managers do not want any detail at all. They're like, do not bring me into the detail. I don't want to get bogged down there. Just keep it high level. I want you to figure out what is of importance to them. So there's a couple of questions that I think are really cool to ask. And curiosity is like the ultimate relationship builder. If you can be genuinely curious about another person without judgment, you're going to build better relationships. So here's what I would ask your boss if you're wanting to build a better relationship. I would ask them the question, what is non-negotiable for you on your team? What's the thing that you love that team members do and makes your life easier? What is it that team members do that makes your life harder? The other question I asked a manager just today actually was what things are keeping you up at night? And once they talk about that, they talk about the things that they really deeply care about and you start to get a sense of what matters to them. If I were working with a new manager, I'd want to understand those things and try and boil it down to what are the four non-negotiables for them? Now, you don't necessarily need to tell them these, but if you know them, then you can make sure that you are demonstrating the things that matter. So this particular manager I was talking to today, she runs a business, a really successful business with lots of employees. One of the things that I've worked out about her is that for her, trust and attention to detail are so important and they're just huge drivers for her and they're very linked. So if there's not a quality or a level of attention to detail that her team deliver, then the trust starts to erode. And so you start to see the relationship between the things that people care about. So if you can boil that down for your manager and kind of work out, okay, here's the four things that are non-negotiable and then start to dig into the relationship between those things. Like I mentioned with attention to detail and trust, those things are like inherently linked. Find out what that is and you start to get a picture of what this person cares about. Once you know what they care about, it changes how you communicate with them. And most problems on teams come down to communication issues. So if you firstly know what they care about, then you know how to communicate with them in a way that taps into those things that they care about, you're going to have much better communication and you're going to have way less issues. So I want you to think those things through, do the deep work, ask the questions. I know I've talked about Michael Bungay standing out a bazillion times on this podcast, but I will not stop because you're welcome. (laughs) I don't know. Like the coaching habit, that book has the most amazing questions, seven really good questions. Go and buy it, put it in the show notes. You can read that book and work out how to weave those questions in. They're beautiful, open conversation starters. If you ask more questions of your boss 
And not like the questions that will annoy your boss. The questions I'm talking about are questions about them and how they work and things that they want to speak about. But if you focus on questions that you can find the answers to yourself, they're the sorts of things that annoy managers. Like those little micro things where you're like, hey, if you just go and do that extra five minutes of looking or Googling or whatever, you're going to find that answer yourself. Like don't bog your boss down with that. But what I'm talking about is these questions about how they like to operate, how they like to work, what brings the best out in them. And that's, I guess, you managing up. So the more you can manage up, the better the relationship will be and the better your chances of future opportunities, more progression. So do that. It is a really mature approach to your career. I think I've banged on about this enough. Like I'll move on. <laughs> but I, I think it's really important that we learn how to nail this stuff because it sets us up for such good wins. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to answer a couple more questions on dealing with rejection and how to make a big career change. This one's from trade into something totally new. And the last one we'll hit after the break is how to get more feedback. All right, we'll be back in a sec. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. 3 questions to close. And this one was an anonymous one. I've been knocked back for several roles now. I feel like I've really lost my confidence. What can I do to rebuild it? Ah, oh, rejection is so sucky. And I think like there's no easy way around it. It's just a part of building your career. You're going to get knocked back for stuff. But it still doesn't make it any less painful. It's like this inevitable thing that we all have to go through. But the funny thing is I don't know that we're very open because it's really vulnerable topic. So I don't know if we're very open talking about it to one another. And I guess like that's a byproduct probably of social media. Also like you think about everyone talking about people saying, I'm very thrilled to have off been offered a new position on LinkedIn. So we're always talking about the wins, but we don't really talk about what do we do when we get knocked back? So then when you have that rejection, maybe you applied for a promotion as an internal applicant and it got given to an external. And that can feel like a huge blow and really knock your confidence. But then where do you go with that feeling of, oh, I feel really 
disappointed or I feel really embarrassed, whatever that is for you, where do you go with it? Because it's not like we have frequent conversations about that feeling of being let down or feeling like you're not good enough. So I guess what I'm saying is everyone has moments of rejection. It's just that we don't talk about it in these open ways, which is kind of sad because I think if more of us had conversations about it, we'd kind of be more comfortable with it. I was watching on Instagram the other day something from Layla Hormozy and she said that she actually seeks out the rejection. She was saying, in the sales process, I actually look for the no's and look for the people to reject the thing that I'm trying to sell. And she says that she does that because that's the reframe, because every rejection is the next step towards the yes, towards closing the deal. And I think about that in your job search. If at the moment you're applying for jobs and you have been knocked back multiple times, put that Layla Hormozy reframe onto the process and start to go, I actually look for the no's. I look for the rejections, as painful as that sounds, because it is part of the process. And instead of seeing rejection as a personal thing, we start to see rejection as a process thing. I'm just going to say that again. Instead of seeing rejection as a personal thing, we see rejection as a process thing. So I go through the process, I get knocked back, I get some no's along the way, but every no is the next stepping stone to that yes. For me, shifting from employee to business owner, that's been something that I've had to navigate of going, how do you deal with it? Like anyone who's works in sales, how do you deal with the no's? How do you deal with people saying, no, not keen or no, not now, or no, I'm not into it, whatever it is. How do you deal with that? And I think there's this process of not attaching your value or your sense of self-worth to the outcome. For this person that's asked this question and for anyone who's in this position where they feel like they've lost their confidence because of those rejections, I want you to start to go, you know what? I can't control the outcome. I actually can't control what that decision maker on that recruitment panel does, but I can control how I show up to every part of that process. And how I do that is positioning me for the yes, for the win, for that successful promotion. So I think that's where I want to say reframe those experiences to see them as a process. The other thing I'd say is find a few quick wins. So the quick win might not be landing the job, but the quick win might be having a meeting with a recruiter or the quick win might be reaching out to someone on LinkedIn and saying, hey, I'm just looking for a couple of opportunities. Could we sit down for a coffee? And them saying yes. So you're getting a yes. It's not the full version of what you want. It's not the, hey, here's the contract sign on the line, but it is a quick win. If you can find those quick wins, that can be the way of like rebuilding some of that confidence. And I was talking with a friend of mine about this the other day, and we were talking about how you move from the ambition behind an idea. So my ambition or my aspiration might be to land the job into action. And that's how you build your confidence. So instead of having this ambitious idea or this aspiration that's kind of out there, you move into action mode and you start taking those small steps. So it might be getting someone who says yes to having a coffee with you or meeting up or having a phone call. Find those small little actions that are quick wins because they're the little micro steps that lead to the desired outcome you're after. 
Next question is from Zach. I work in trade as a bricklayer. It's a super physical job and I've got a timeline on my career. What should I do to prepare for change? So I think what Zach is saying in this question is because of the physicality of the job, he's only able to do it for probably another few years before it has too much of a toll on his body. I will say, as a side note, my husband Sam owns a trade business in concreting. So we've been talking about this in our family of what's the end point? Like how do you have an exit strategy when you work in a really physical job and it's not something you can do forever? So the first thing I want to say to Zach is that it's awesome you're thinking about this because I think a lot of people, because it's kind of nerve wracking, they don't think about it until it gets to the critical moment of they've done their back and now they cannot work and they have no other things lined up. So I think for you, you're thinking about this a few years ahead of time. That's a really amazing place to be. And it just positions you really well to make a transition or career move because career changes can take years to make. Like I don't see many people just making a snap decision. I think they're the outlier. Most people, a a big career change from one industry to something completely different can take years. So Zach, love what you're doing and that you're already thinking about this. Because I'm I'm going to assume you've got three to five years left in you in bricklaying, here's what I would do. I would start by doing the deep work. And in our book, Sort Your Career Out, we talk about this. We start the book by saying you need to think about the deep parts of your career. And those are things like what are your values? So your values are the non-negotiables for you. They're kind of like your anchor. If you think about your career, they're the things that you must have in order to feel content, to feel engaged and to feel like you're doing something that aligns with who you are as a person. The next thing you need to uncover, what are you good at? So your strengths. Go back and listen to last week's episode. We talk heaps about strengths. And we've got a stack of episodes on strengths actually. So, so go and listen to all those. So I want you to find out, number one, your values. Number two, your strengths. And then you start to look at what jobs align with both my values and my strengths And then the third area is what risks are you willing to take? Because anytime you make a career change, there's an element of risk. You're going to have potentially some things that you try out that you think, gee, that was terrible. That was the worst move. And that's fine. We need to have a level of risk tolerance here if we're making a career change. As long as you've done that deep work first to figure out what are my values? What are my strengths? Then you start to apply that risk lens and work out, okay, cool. Well, if I know that like I'm just going to take my husband for an example because similar industry. Uh, Sam, one of his values is freedom and he loves working outside. Like he would not cope working in an office environment at all. So I know that that pretty much rules out all of corporate Australia <laughs> because he just wouldn't want to work in an office and he likes the freedom that comes with working outside and like when it rains, he can go for a surf or whatever. So find out what that is for you. You've got to work those out. And then that narrows your focus down. So, okay, we've eliminated all of corporate Australia office life for Sam. What would that be for him? Then what does that leave us with? And so it still might be areas of trade, but not bricklaying. So maybe it's a a career change within the construction industry, or maybe there are other things that align with your strengths, but you haven't been using them in your job. So maybe you're a really good people manager and you're good at influencing people. Well, there's stacks of jobs in that industry that could be managing people that aren't on the tools. So 
I guess what I want you to do is buy the book. <laughs> so shameless promotion, but Zach, you need to buy the book. First step, do the deep work, figure out your values, figure out your strengths. And then you need to start to think about what risks are you prepared to take? And then final step, as I close out this one, you need an emergency fund. Glenn talks about this. I think it's on the episode quarter life career crisis. Go back and listen because he talks about how do you prepare financially to make a career change. Zach, let us know how you go because I'm really keen to hear where things end up. All right, last question is from Alison. How do I get more feedback at work? I love this question, Alison, so much. I love that you've asked it because so many of us want more feedback, but we don't really get a lot of feedback at work. And I think there's a few reasons for this. I think we don't ask for it in the way that gets quality feedback from the person who's giving it. We also, I think a lot of workplaces don't know how to give feedback. The number one rule for feedback is you need to ask for it in advance. And what do I mean by that? Let's say you're running a really important client meeting and it's with these big clients. You need to really show up and have your A game on. And this is an important career step for you. What I would do if I was you, I would sit down with my manager beforehand or I'd give them a call and say, hey, I'm just preparing for this meeting. I would love your feedback after the meeting on what you feel like I did well and what you feel like I could improve. Prep them. And then I would even send them an email saying, hey, just a reminder, I'd love your feedback. It's really going to help me grow and improve. Could you write down a couple of notes of, in the meeting of what you think I could do better? By asking for advance, you're making your manager or whoever you're asking for feedback from, you're making their job way easier. So start there, ask for feedback before you do the thing. Because most of what I see from employees is they ask for it after the fact. And if you come to me after the meeting and said, hey, Shell, how did I do? I would be like, oh, sorry, I was too focused on what the client was doing and I, I really don't remember because we've got so much going on. So step one, ask for advance. The next thing I want you to do is focus on one key area. So don't go and focus on, I want to improve in my strategic thinking and public speaking and emotional intelligence. Just focus on one thing. So it might even be more narrow than emotional intelligence. And I suggest you should make it more narrow because emotional intelligence is massive, but maybe you want to focus on active listening and that's it. So find something quite narrow, but something that's going to have a big or disproportionate impact on your career and get feedback on that one thing and talk to your manager about that talk to them. You could work that one area out together. So you might sit down and go, cool, I really want to grow. I've come up with three areas that I think I can grow. What do you reckon is the most important for me based on my role and where you see me heading? And then letting them speak into it means that they're going to be then more likely to give you solid feedback on that particular area. And then the last thing is get feedback from multiple sources. So you don't just want it to be from one particular person because people have preferences. So some people will give you feedback on a presentation that you did and some people will say you didn't share enough stories and the other people said you went on way too long on that story. So what I want you to do is not just have one person who gives you feedback, but get multiple sources from people you trust. You might have a mentor, you might have a peer, and you might have a manager in the mix. If you get three people in your world to give you feedback on one particular area and you're really strategic in asking for that feedback ahead of time, you're going to grow way, way quicker than anyone else. Like you really will and you'll be so much better positioned for future opportunities because you've created 
this process where people can help you grow. Like you've made it easy for them and you've reduced any of that nervousness that people have around giving constructive feedback. You've made it easy for the, all these people. And the thing that happens is you, you win out of that because you get better every time you get feedback. And the only like final caveat I would say, and this is something that Glenn James from the main podcast has said to me that I think was really helpful. He said, when there's feedback, look for the pattern. So sometimes randoms will give you feedback about stuff and it will be like a full outlier. But if there's a pattern of feedback, that's when you really need to pay attention. So I just want to close that out by saying, look for the pattern. But I love this question, Alison, and I think the fact that you're asking it means that I can tell you're really driven, really hungry to grow, and that is every manager's dream person to have on their team. All right, well, that's it for me for this career Q&A. All right, I have one thing to ask from you. If you enjoy this podcast, number one, can you give us a rating wherever you listen, Spotify or Apple? And number two, can you share it with a friend, someone who needs to hear this, get the word out there? That helps us so much and I really appreciate it. Let's connect on LinkedIn and we'll talk to you soon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.